you don't really need all platforms to win. You just need to do one really well. The biggest thing right now, if you want to be discovered, is short form video content and being able on any platform to have your music algorithmically served up as much mm -hmm. as possible. TikTok is actually a really great tool where you can get a really deep understanding of what fans care about on an artist just by searching hashtags. It's a mixed bag depending on the artist, right? I'm seeing artists breakthrough moment simply by them being the ones that are putting content out themselves, right? I do think there is a real need for people to understand how new fans consume music. There's ways that you can take that content that fans are creating and help tell a narrative off platform, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, here's all the, all these people posting about this record, you should highlight this song. Or beyond that, you can tell a story with publicity, looking at how fans are reacting and telling the story about, oh, your fans clearly have a, a very deep connection with the lyrics. Because a lot of the stuff that gets posted on TikTok are people highlighting lyrics and mm. making things about that. It's all different platforms in, in the way that I look at it. And kind of have to game each one individually and understand how they episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition coming very soon. Today, my guest is Alex Chichimaro. He is a VP of marketing at RCA Records. Now, this is a, a really excellent interview. I'm very excited for you to listen to this one. Uh, Alex has uh, a, a long history in the industry. Well, along for his 32 years of age, I believe he said. And he primarily works in hip hop. But his takeaways and his advice and his the way that he looks at the industry and marketing in general can be applied to every artist and every manager and every other label person across the industry, no matter what genre you work in. We had a really illuminating conversation and he's got a really great perspective. I would encourage you to listen to this to the end. Now, we talk about, now, specifically, uh, he has worked Sleepy Hollow's record 2055, which is a massive record. Uh, that that track alone has nearly a half a billion streams just on Spotify, 100 million views on YouTube. And get this, not much TikTok. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, the artist himself, uh, he's young, I think 22 or something like that, not really on TikTok. We talk all about that. So, uh, spoiler alert, not every major label's entire marketing plan revolves around the artist being on TikTok. I know that's crazy to say in 2022, but Alex breaks that down and we talk about release strategy and marketing strategy and promotional strategy when that artist doesn't really thrive or communicate in that way. Please follow 
subscribe, like the show, however you're listening to this right now, quickly pause it, hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button. We'll show up in your feed from here on out. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Those really help. If you're listening on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, hit us a comment. I'd love, I love reading the comments. I'll try to get back to you. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. That's where we send all the most relevant information out. And you can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and Twitter. All right, let's kick into the show. Alex Chichamaro, welcome to the show. What's going on? Good to see you. Um, So you have the distinguished honor, I don't know if you know this, um, of being my first guest of nearly a hundred guests in the last two years on the new music business, uh, who works at a major label, uh, as, Oh, damn is right. (laughs) Get ready, Alex. I don't know if you knew what you signed up for, uh, but you're here now and you're not allowed to leave. (laughs) So, um, I'm with it. I'm with it. Great. Great. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you. Uh, you have a, a pretty incredible history and, um, a great perspective, um, on the industry, from where you sit. And I know that the audience is going to be really interested to hear your perspective as a, as VP of marketing at RCA and the the history that you've done. But before we get into all of that, um, we'll spend a lot of time talking about that. I just want to know kind of your journey a little bit, uh, in the, in the industry, how did you get to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, I started, well, like the earliest, the earliest point when I really started getting into music was around like 15, 16. I'm 30. I just turned 33 on Monday. Oh, um, happy birthday. All right. Thank you very much. But um, yeah, like around 15, 16 years old, uh, a friend of mine, this is when message boards and MySpace, that was like the, the that was the mix of digital marketing and music yep. at the time. And, um, a friend of mine in high school, he made, uh, like almost like a a snippet track, um, of this whole thing with like Cameron and Jay-Z and there's this whole back and forth Mm -hmm. and it went viral and viral at the time was like a bunch of people, uh, posted it on MySpace and bloggers picked it up. It got like some credibility, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he went, do you want to manage me? And I never really like knew what the music business was. I just kind of knew there was a music business. Yeah. Um, and so from that, hold on. Okay. I'm on the phone. You got to close the door. Okay. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. I got two <laughs> <all> kids. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, um, you know, we, uh, he goes, do you want to manage me? I didn't really know anything about the music business at the time. Um, And he got invited to one of these like DJ calls. They used to do these like huge conference calls where DJs would all hop on from across the country and they'd be able to meet artists. Right. Hmm. So I hop on the call and I know absolutely nothing about what's going on. And I think Paul Wall at the time was on the call. He's probably promoting the song. And I'm just like yelling like, Hey, I'm here. For DJ Phil Effect, I'm here right now. And I'm clearly muted. Nobody pays attention to me. Um, and that was kind of the start. And then at that point, I wanted to take it seriously. 
So I uh, went to Full Sail for college. Uh, I was actually in the first ever music business program that they did. Um, I was there when they like launched the whole thing. Gotcha. Um, it was a good time while I was in Orlando. I'm originally from New York, but while I was in Orlando, mm-hmm. um, I was working, I did like college radio stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't like on air, but I interned for one of the DJs. Um, I interned for a street promoter. So I was like, my days would be like going to school and then um, meeting up. Her name was Jesse McGuire and like shooting interviews that she did and, and emailing them to blogs and stuff. And then I'd leave her at around like two, three o'clock in the morning and I'd go to the club and pass out flyers outside the club and you see like crazy shit. But uh, <laughs> Shout out to Orange <laughs> Avenue in, uh-huh. in Orlando. I recently went out there. I recently went out there, and they 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 call it like they have like some name for it now. It was I don't know. They're trying to be like Soho. Anyway, so <laughs> I uh, I did all that, and then I left, and I, I ended up working for came back to New York, worked for a guy named Alan Strom, who. I would say is like the first guy that really put me on in the music business. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, he was a uh, mixed show radio promoter, like an indie. Um, and he introduced me to a lot of different people. He had me, you know, kind of almost being like, because he was moving to North Carolina. So he had me being a conduit for him in a lot of things mm-hmm. where I helped um, produce content for Talk Out Tuesdays and Show Off Radio, which are two radio shows on Sirius Satellite Radio on Shade 45. Um, I was running a blog for him called alanstrom.com where we did like interviews about the music business, kind of like mm-hmm. this, right? Like I yeah, would go yeah. interview marquee people in the music business. And we, we did a lot of shit there, which is actually a really great way that I got to meet people. Um, I was what was radio promotion all- like at that time? We're talking like, what, 2010 or so? Yeah, like, yeah, 2010, 2009. To be honest with you, the radio side, I didn't really touch. Oh, like, okay. gotcha. That was his thing. I mm-hmm. was doing more so digital. I was helping, looking back on it, we didn't even realize, but what I was doing was I was helping him build a brand that was kind of B2C, but I'm sure it had an impact on like a B2B level. Like I'm sure, sure. more people wanted to work with him because they saw him, mm. but we never really like, that wasn't what we were thinking at the time. What we were thinking it. was like, it, honestly, it was, there's all these music blogs that are in the world, like not right on smash and, and these like huge, huge publications in hip hop. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do something like that. And I convinced him that, everybody's doing music and everybody's going about it where it's like, let's go post a new song and like follow the gossipy headlines in certain places on what's happening with these artists. Let's do the music business. Like let's show the other side of it. And we did like, I think we did Chris Clancy's first interview when he started working with, um, Odd Future and Tyler, the creator. That was a big one. Mm. I think I did Chris Lighty's last interview ever before he passed. I'm pretty sure. Um, You know, artist wise, we did like Nipsey Hussle, Kendrick Lamar, Macklemore when he was at the height of Macklemore. Like a lot of crazy stuff. 
And then yeah. we produce a lot of other content as well for Sirius. We did some stuff for Complex. We did some stuff for Vivo, uh, MySpace, a couple other platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through all that, I started working at a website called Hot New Hip Hop as their artist relations person because it kind of like culminated everything. And they had just launched in New York. Uh, place and we we launched some content there and I did some exclusive artist partnerships blah 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 mm-hmm. and then through that I started working at labels around like 2014 I would say 2013 2014 um, I was the digital marketing manager at Atlantic and while I was at Atlantic I worked on a bunch of stuff um, I worked on Hamilton the the sound the soundtrack oh, I worked wow. on. Yeah, I worked on uh, Cardi B. Literally the last thing I did at Atlantic was, one of the last things I did was launching um, Bodak Yellow, the single um, that really like put her on the map. I literally set the, I always tell the story. I set the the video live on YouTube from Junior's Cheesecake in Brooklyn from my phone (laughs) and just watch my phone like blow up. it's like a funny little thing but um wait so how did you i'm curious um so you broke in uh, how did you get that job as a digital uh marketing director at atlantic did you just apply or did you know someone was it through the connections from hot new hip-hop or yeah so it was i mean it was a mix of things so Mm -hmm. one i had a, a friend of mine um, who was already working there. Her name is Marlise. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to Marlise. And she uh, she hit me. She knew I was trying to leave High New Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, there's a position that's opening up. There's these two guys that um, they, they run a company now called 740 Project. Raheem and Punch are their names. Um, they were the digital marketing managers at the time at Atlantic. Mm. And they were on the way out to actually, I think, go do their, like, really go full force with 740 themselves. Sure. They're having real success right now. They have an artist by the name of Glorilla. She has a song called FNF that's going crazy on TikTok. Shout out to them. But um, uh-huh. they were leaving at the time. And I knew them through Hot New Hip Hop, but I knew Marlise previous because in the midst of all of this, I was mm-hmm. road managing in Atlanta. I know it seems like a lot, but I was I was back and forth between New York and Atlanta a lot, and I knew Marlies through there. Um, you were on tour, like road managing for an ar- for an artist um, while on tour. Yeah, shit. Yeah, it was a group called Two Nine, um, wow. based <laughs> out of Atlanta. I was, I, I literally, I remember when I would go down to Atlanta. I would literally be homeless in Atlanta for like months at a time. Um, <laughs> and I remember at the time, I didn't know if Wi-Fi would be good, so I had to buy one of those like wireless router that you plug sure. into your laptop <laughs> oh yeah so i could make sure i could do all the stuff for al still it was mm-hmm. it was a cur- i didn't even know it was a lot that i was doing then but i was doing a lot i was doing way mm-hmm. too much. um and yeah i mean that was it i i think the reason why i got the job probably at atlantic was because i had a diverse enough resume where I understood digital marketing. I came from, at the time, a really prominent website. I knew Mm -hmm. content creation. I knew social media. I knew, you know, all these things. And at the time, I mean, blogs were kind of where where it was at in music. I mean, uh, we're talking probably, um, just to get the timeline right, 
what, 2014. 2014. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the height of, of Hype Machine. I mean, that was essentially, if you started charting on um, Hype Machine, you know, the blog aggregator of the time, uh, and you got some, you know, you got Pigeons and Planes or Consequence of Sound or um, anything like that, um, Empire, it would be something where that would translate into hundreds of thousands of streams on SoundCloud. Uh, it, that that was kind of what was the driving the conversation. And if you started charting, I mean, every label and manager, this was like, this was, you know, the mid aughts, it was that everyone was was after you. And this was kind of how a lot of artists kind of got their, their start, I would say around that time, um, by getting all that blog coverage. Yeah, that was definitely it was it was I would say this, it was it was a crazy moment because it was right when um right before like streaming obviously spotify app like apple music didn't exist yet right um spotify was there i think mm-hmm. if you were in like almost like the indie music scene pop music edm you were very aware of spotify if you mm-hmm. were a fan of hip-hop you didn't give a shit like you were SoundCloud. downloading mix yeah or downloading mixtapes off that, like that piff that piff and hot new hip-hop where i worked right. and, and right. places like that so you weren't really tapped in with what was happening in the streaming scene at that point sure um and so the blogs were really it's funny like i have a a, a group of friends jeff and eric who are doing um something around like this whole thing like they, they they're very like entrenched in into that time Mm-hmm. And like they're, you know, we've been talking back and forth about it. And and it just, it feels like that was such a small but important era of how marketing and digital marketing developed. There was like a blend between what's publicity, what's digital marketing, nobody knew. It was kind of right. like who had the relationship. Sure. There was this like world of like, you know, almost like industry plants where at the time it was way, you know, if you had a a high power publicist at a record label convincing, you know, X, Y, and Z blog that it made sense to to pick your record up and they thought they were kind of dope. Even if the public didn't really like it, they got like a really good push and a lot of looks would happen for them. And Mm -hmm. you would just start, you started seeing a lot of um, that stuff almost fade away when I started working in digital marketing, right? Mm. Like it, it it was the end of it. And when I came in, it became this era of SoundCloud was like the ultimate thing Mm -hmm. um, for new artists and new artist discovery, SoundCloud and YouTube. This is when you start seeing really like the rise of um, like aggregates on SoundCloud that are like, reposting music and, and mm. sharing music to a large audience of people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when you start seeing, you know, remixing really becoming like a much bigger thing in hip hop. Right. I mean, it always yeah. was, don't get me wrong. Like it, it literally comes from hip hop, but right. it becomes a big thing again, where now like genres are getting crossed and EDM is really diving heavy into hip hop and, and wanting to work with them. And, and you see a lot of that. Um, and yeah, and then the minute that Apple music really hit, I remember being at Atlantic and having like a big company wide, like 
this is going to happen. This mm-hmm. is going to change the way everything works. And that was 2015, 2016. Yeah. And like when that happened, it was, it was lights out. It was basically like the whole game shifted mm. and everybody was obsessed with streaming playlisting. Everyone yeah. was obsessed with social media management. That was really what, what digital marketing became like mm-hmm. content creation and, and, you know, social platforms. Basically. Sure. So let's jump ahead a little bit. Um, how long have you been uh, with RCA? I've been at RCA for three years, but I've been at, well, two and a half, really. I've been at Sony for five. So right. um, I started at Sony. I had a joint venture label, um, myself and my business partner, Jonathan Master, called Same mm-hmm. Plate Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um and from that, right before the pandemic um, in 2020, we are we had already had a JV deal. We were in the center of Sony, but we also had a JV deal directly with RCA. Explain and, what that um, means. What does a JV deal mean? So it means that you're essentially a company that works independently of a major label. Um, mm-hmm. but you're partnered with the major label and have access to their resources. So like the way to think about it is we sign artists, our staff works, the artists, we yeah. don't necessarily follow the same protocol that the larger Sony entity does, but mm-hmm. where we lapse in, um, ability to move, like for instance, DSP pitching or like you know, radio, things like that, we're able to tap into the larger entity of, of RCA and say, hey, we have this record coming that's bubbling up. Are you willing to work with us on it? Blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. we put a plan together. And um, what do they get in return of that? Like, what's the what's the JV partnership? They co-own, uh, they co-own the, the, the venture. It's a JV stands for joint ventures. So they co-own the label. Got it. Okay. And so they have a, a financial interest in the label succeeding. And so they're willing to invest some of their resources uh, to help out the records that you're working because if your revenue increases, theoretically, that's better for them, even though they don't own the masters necessarily. No, Is they're part correct? of it. They're, they are part no, of they're it. Definitely. So, yeah. So if you're a joint venture label, uh, uh-huh. Let's say if you're a JV of RCA right now, like just RCA, sure, you you have an agreed upon split between um, your company and the label itself, right? So the label, Got it. RCA, when I say label, handles mm-hmm. your distribution. So they get your music out into the world, right? Sure. The mechanics mm-hmm. of it. They then collect and then pay out everything. That mechanism alone can sometimes be difficult, and they run that. And then beyond that, um, what they're doing is offering label service at a higher level, right? They Mm -hmm. offer a major label service to an artist. And a lot of times what you see is, because all labels have joint ventures. If you ever saw the the, uh, Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre, I forgot what it's called, the documentary that they put out like five, six years ago. Oh, yeah. I think it's called The Defiant Ones. Right, yep, yep. So he explained, like Jimmy Iovine really can break that down in that 
where he's explaining um, what De- Death Row was a joint venture partner of Interscope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, the way Jimmy Irene moved was very much like finding these partners to do these deals with. Because what happens is a lot of the times in the major label system, um, you have so many artists at one time, right? And you want every artist to be able to get the uh, attention that they deserve. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times these joint ventures are helpful in that way because what it means is, is that you have somebody that you trust that can give the artist like that bespoke attention to go Mm -hmm. do like the core things that are necessary for that artist. And then in return, when things are ready, you can elevate that support through the major. I actually work as now with a joint venture that's really successful, uh, Winter Circle Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, artist Chef G, Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy was literally named um, Spotify's Rise Artist of last year. Right. And, and those guys came in with a ton of momentum already built. They, they had a ton of, you know, revenue coming in and just everything working in their favor. Sure. So it doesn't really make sense to say, come sign with us and then we're going to take everything over. Instead, right. it's a partnership and it's supposed to be set up where, you know, we help them in enhance their infrastructure. And then in return, when things are ready to go, we're able to help layer in where they feel like they need the assistance. I read uh, somewhere in an interview, um, I believe uh, it was with your... your um, Someone for, about same plate entertainment. They were mentioning how they structured their deals a little bit differently than most majors. They wouldn't touch three hundred and sixty deals uh, necessarily. Yeah. And so, with these joint ventures and sometimes these uh, JV labels, um, so they're able to kind of structure the deals however they want without necessarily much interference in the contract and negotiation with their parents. I can't speak on everybody because everybody's different. Sure. Um, it all dep- I don't know the ins and outs of, honestly, I don't know the ins and outs of any JV at that level other than the one that we had. But yep. the one that we had, yeah, we were we were able to structure deals. John Master, who was, was the president and, and mm-hmm. my business partner on it, he had come from Empire Distribution. So he came yep. from the school of Artist First Deals, the school of Short Term, allowing the, like, our our whole mo when we started same plate um as a label initially it was a marketing company and we had a, a third partner by the name of Benner hall um but when we uh came to sony and, and became a, a label um the whole mo was we wanted to do artist-friendly deals that were focused on recouping fast sure we wanted artists to be able to get in um and be able to make money whether it was a licensing deal a master deal whatever it was and and all Mm -hmm. deals were done differently but Mm -hmm. essentially the the shtick was we were doing 50 50 deals straight partnerships um on profit um instead of a of a royalty deal which is a whole separate thing that i can't really get into but it's a it's a way more artist-friendly deal and you never did 360s and we only did short-term deals. We only did, you know, very small, like two album commitment deals, like things that were really built around the idea of allow us to have an actual shot to help grow this thing, but 
but then in return, like we want to make sure that you're making your money and yeah. you're not um, in a spot where you don't see money down the line. And, you know, hopefully, mm-hmm. obviously, like it's it's only been it's crazy to think because that feels like it was like a decade ago, but it's been, you know, two and a half years since we folded in RCA and kind of became one with them and, and um, the joint venture is no longer really standing. It does in some ways, but mm-hmm. not what it used to. And like, you know, I'm seeing artists that we work with now um, from when we first started get that close to recouping, get that close to being able to, to where they're now going to be making money for the rest of their life on their music. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, that, that was the goal always. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's artists that we really believed in that, you know, it, it, it might not have worked out the way we wanted. And I'm seeing those guys um on their own now take whatever leverage and help we were able to layer in um and go crazy with it i'm seeing them do really well for themselves and mm-hmm. that's what we want to see man we just want to see yeah. artists win you know so so um all right so let's talk like the last uh couple years or so um now that you've kind of folded winter circle has folded into rca i mean you're you're well, same plate into rca same plate okay yeah, um man. Gotcha. And then, uh, and so you mentioned you worked Sleepy Hollows, um, and that record, I mean, that one alone, uh, the 2055 you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, 2055, that one, uh, it's got like almost a half a billion streams. It's on Spotify alone right now. It's got, you know, nearly a hundred million views on YouTube. Uh, Sleepy Hollows got 12 million monthly listeners. I'm curious now, this is something that really struck me when just looking at the project um, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Now that uh, 2055 came out uh, last year, um, yep. and he doesn't sleepy. I'll correct me if I'm wrong. I couldn't find a TikTok profile for him. Is that correct? He's on TikTok. He has one. Um, it's. It's uh, the real sleepy Z, 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 Z. Um, but he doesn't well, use shit. it. Well, no. shit. I was searching. Okay, he doesn't use it. I was going to say, because I was searching, he, and yeah. <laughs> he's definitely, he's been on there a couple times. He's not really like one. Honestly, he's not really one for social media, period. But sure. um, I mean, I think if you listen to the music and you really dive in, you'll get an understanding why he's a very introverted guy. Yes. Um, but yeah. He, uh, yeah. So, so talk to me about that. Um, more so, we can we can go kind of macro and micro here. Um, as a as a, a marketing director, as a VP of marketing, um, you know, I uh, the perception of major label marketers right now is uh, you know, and thanks to Halsey and thanks to the rest or whatever, is just like we always we always just say <laughs> go on TikTok. Right. It's just yeah, like that's 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 uh, <laughs> that's the ten point plan of marketing this new release is is TikTok numbers one through ten is is the entire marketing plan. Now, um, yeah. debunk that myth for me, if you will, or in, enforce that uh, that that statement. Um, tell me when you're structuring a marketing plan for a release. What does it look like? And uh, specific. I mean, yeah. that's kind of on the macro side, but on the micro side, like I was struck that sleepy hollow 
really doesn't have much of a TikTok presence. The song 2055 does. That song has, you know, 370,000 yeah. uh, video creations on just the song. But maybe maybe talk about working that record, but also maybe your your macro approach to marketing any any release um, in with all the tools that you have at your disposal. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have... have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and you get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used And it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange. And they have a fraud prevention tool. And they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. uh, They have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Yeah. Um, so, all right. It's a two-part thing. So, sure. I think <clears throat> the TikTok thing. So, I think Sleepy's a really great example of you don't really need all platforms to win you just need to do one really well and sleepy's platform is spotify okay straight up okay um i I, if you go through and tiktok is actually a really great tool where you can get a really deep understanding of what fans care about on an artist just by searching hashtags so if, if like anybody that's listening to it wants to understand what I'm saying, just search Sleepy Hollow or mm-hmm. or Sleepy Hollow Deep End Freestyle or, or any of the big records and you kind of mm-hmm. get through it. And so he, what he talks about in his music strikes a chord with fans, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's very deep. It's about mental health. It's about 
um, being introverted and not trusting people. And, you know, it, it connects in a big way. And I think the same way that you would see five years ago, like, um, and, and maybe this comparison's off because sonically it's different, but like how XXXTentacion cut through on SoundCloud and people mm-hmm. were just going crazy. And he didn't really post a lot. He was very elusive. He didn't really want to like show too much, but people hung on every word because of the depth in his music. Or what you see with NBA Youngboy right now, right? On YouTube, where you can name the biggest artists in the world and NBA Youngboy will shit on them numbers wise on that platform mm-hmm. because he's developed an audience on that platform where people desperately care about what he has to say. It's the same thing with Sleepy and Spotify. When he drops music, people pay attention straight mm-hmm. up. If you look at, um, I mean, you know, one of the things that happened on, on Spotify for 2055 is we just had other music happen. Like he was consistent. So mm-hmm. when he came in to RCA, he had a record called Deep End Freestyle that was already gold by the time it had got to us. We don't have any rights in that record, but um, they had done that independently, but he had a moment already happening for himself. And so we put a record out called Tiptoe with him and Chef G, who's the other person in, in Winter Circle. That was how we launched everything. And then, you know, a few months later, Chef put his album out and sleepy was on that album so everything again spotify bumps up and and you see you know monthly listeners rise you see attention happening there and then a few months later he starts rolling his album out and we had actually put a single out called two sauce as the first record it's it's on the same album and that got a ton of attention but then 2055 came out and it, it just stuck there right like it was Mm. the right record at the right time for his fans he had all his attention on the platform um he is big on on other platforms as well like apple music but spotify is really like the hub for him numbers wise and you saw it just stick there and then you know fast forward we put out another song called chicken about a month later and then it jumps up again Mm-hmm. Because everybody mm-hmm. that went to go hear Chicken went to go back to listen to 2055. And then we put the album out a week later and then it goes through the roof. And, you know, he gets added to playlists on Spotify, playlists on right. Apple. He gets all the support across the partners because the numbers were just there. And that's kind of how things start happening. And then as a label, what we're doing is we're watching that. And we're chasing it. And and I think what you mentioned on the TikTok side was a lot of us, um, you know, working with TikTok as a partner, showing them the numbers, showing them how things were, were coming together. A lot of it was his fans on TikTok and figuring out what they were organically doing and then finding ways to amplify that. Um, and when you on say amplify. I'm assuming when you say amplify that on the platform, are you working with influencer marketing agencies uh, to work uh, to essentially hire influencers to use the song in their videos? Yeah, I mean, we'll 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 always do some level of influencer marketing, um, but a lot of some, sometimes it's just straight up advertising, right? It's it's okay. 
working with fans that create content, working, especially when an artist is, has that deep of a relationship like Sleepy, working with them to amplify their content using advertising, right? There's, there's ways you can do that. Um, and also taking that con Sorry, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. There's ways that you can take that content um, that fans are creating and help tell a narrative off platform, right? Whether it's on YouTube, where there's all these aggregate accounts and, and you can pitch them on, hey, here's all the all these people posting about this record. You should highlight this song. Or, mm. you know, beyond that, like you can you take that and you can tell a story with publicity. I think Sleepy, we just did a really great piece with Sleepy. Uh, it just came out last week with Complex that kind of dives into like how music how he views how music is consumed um on platforms like tiktok and how he views how he makes music period and a lot of it has to do with looking at how fans are reacting and telling the story about oh your fans clearly have a, a very deep connection with the lyrics because a lot of the stuff that gets posted on tiktok are people highlighting lyrics and mm. making things about that mm -hmm. and you know I, I think a lot of it on TikTok, it's a mixed bag depending on the artist, right? Yeah. Like Sleepy is, a, like I said, a great example of an artist who has a really great platform with Spotify. But if you're like a brand new artist, um, you know, I've, I'm seeing artists go uh, like have their breakthrough moment simply by them being the ones that are putting content out themselves, right? Sure. We have an artist sure. on the label by the name of Young Manny who I don't work on but I think is a great example of it, who's had huge moments on TikTok and he's able to get attention for himself simply because he understands the platform and mm -hmm. he knows how to create content. I think when you hear the like, well, one, sometimes I think when you hear the like big artists, I've never had a big artist pull this on me because we don't, none of my marketing plans ever say only do TikTok. Like that'll never happen. But like, I think sometimes when you hear a big artist go, oh, you know, they told me I have to go viral on TikTok to do this. It's literally them just saying that to go viral on TikTok. Yeah. Like they already know what they're going to do. Um, but sometimes I, I do think there is a real need for people to understand how new fans consume music. And we're getting to a place where playlisting, which was like the end all be all of things. And, mm -hmm. and it's still a huge part of it playlisting is not really like the biggest thing. The biggest thing right now, if you want to be discovered is short form video content and being able on any platform to have your music algorithmically served up as much mm -hmm. as possible. Those are the two most important factors in terms of developing an audience, especially on the digital side. Mm. Um, obviously there's platforms are different, even off, like radio is way different than what Spotify is versus what Apple is versus what, you know, a touring act might do. They're all, these are all different, you know, they're not just platforms technically, but they're really all different platforms in, in the way that I look at it. And mm -hmm. you kind of have to gain each one individually and understand how they move. And then the other side of it is, is you have to understand your artist. Mm. Not every artist is going to want to go, be social and get on TikTok. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. and that, if the artist is talented enough to carry that, is acceptable. Like I used to say when I was in digital marketing at Atlantic, there I used to call it the the like Wiz Khalifa weekend spectrum, where mm-hmm. like one side of it is the weekend who at that point literally never did anything. I don't think I ever did an interview. This is like 2014 again. Like he literally refused to do anything but put music out in big videos and like have big looks. And that was it. And he was huge. And then Wiz Khalifa was touring everywhere, doing all the interviews, being the friendliest guy in the world, on YouTube, doing day in the life vlogs, like showcasing every bit of his lifestyle. And he was huge, right? Mm -hmm. Both of them attacked it in different ways and both of them could carry it. And I think the difference is, is that the more you get onto the weekend side, the more you're dependent on um, how good is my music and how how much will it carry with the fans that are paying attention to me versus mm-hmm. if you're on the Wiz side, the music still has to be great, but you're also giving fans more of a lifestyle. You have more of an opportunity to stay in people's space. And... You know, I, I think you have to understand what artists you're dealing with and where they fit on that spectrum, yep. and then you can plan from there. That's great, and and um, the it's kind of I I discussed this concept of like the uh, on the weekend side is kind of like I call it the I artist. It's just like the ones that that have their entire aesthetic, their brand, their story. It's all kind of polished worked out and it's through this lens and then on the other end of the spectrum it's almost like these these constant creators but also like the ones that are everywhere and anywhere and everyone falls somewhere on the spectrum i mean on the weekend side on that ir side it's kind of like um you're essentially dependent on a lot of the gatekeepers because if they release a mu- a song and sure. nothing happens and the weekends and the artists are just sitting back and be like, well, do something. And it's just like, well, nothing's happening. Whereas like Wiz will go or someone else will make it happen. And that's like essentially, you know, the power that artists can have these days is just like they can throw 50 TikTok videos up and one of them catches versus if you're. But that being said, most artists that I know would honestly appreciate to be on that weekend side to just make the music put in and and the videos and sit back and relax (laughs) every artist wants to do that right every i don't know a single artist that wouldn't love the idea of i'm gonna put music out and the whole world is gonna think it's great instantly (laughs) of course yeah like like i would love that i would love for every Mm -hmm. one of my artists to have that opportunity i think the reality of it is is that we um it's very different than, you know, and I wasn't obviously in the music business at the time, but like, it's very different than it was in like the nineties or the two thousands where every artist essentially had time to develop quietly. Yes. Right. You could develop every aspect of your brand and your live show and your music and everything could kind of cook quietly on its own. And then you could pop up out of nowhere and start rolling things out. And, and, you know, if everything was good, it would be a cut above everybody else. Now everything's on 24 seven. So you really don't have that opportunity to, to kind of go away, which makes it even more difficult 
when you're the weekend or, or you want to be like the weekend. Right. Because, you know, the weekend is incredible, right? Like House of Balloons is probably one of the best albums of the last 20 years, in my opinion, at least. Right. Like it's he came out with arguably one of the biggest biggest albums of a generation of people. Yeah. How many artists do that? How many right. artists put out, how many artists in their entire discography have an album like that? Really not many. So like, you know, you have to bank on a lot to get that. The one thing I'd say on the Wiz side, though, and I hate to keep using him as an example, but like, sure. the one thing I'd say on that is that the ones that work on there also have their shit polished, right? They also have their brand together. Like, mm. the reason why Wiz works is because Wiz is a lifestyle. Taylor Gang was a lifestyle at that time, right? Yeah. You could, you were smoking weed. It was having yeah, sex sure. with, with your enemy's girlfriend. It was <laughs> going to shows with camo pants on and, yeah. and, a, and a snapback, right? And Jordans. Like, you knew what that was. They just showed you that lifestyle a lot. And the ones that don't work, yeah. On that side, mm. especially now where everything's on, they don't understand the lifestyle that they have to. They're the leaders of every artist really needs to be the leader of a community, a leader of a lifestyle. Right. Mm. To be super successful. Mm. And even even not even if you wanted to be like like Killer Mike's a great example of an artist yep. right now that that he had, or or bum b another great example he had, he was on the earn your leisure podcast and and he i think it was that one and he mentioned like you know the minute i learned that you know you don't need a million fans to be a millionaire everything changed right but the reality is is that bun b as a brand and a lifestyle ugk and what he represented there and then how he transitioned that into, you know, being more of like this OG figure and under and living that kind of like, like stamp on Houston culture guy brand. Mm -hmm. He, even though that audience and that, that quote unquote niche is not tremendous, according to him, it's still something where he's the leader of it and he can guide mm -hmm. people. And you know, when you think of Bun B, you can name the three to five tent poles of what he represents. Sure. And what I often see with new artists is they want to do that side of things, right? They want to do, they're really good at getting on TikTok and making YouTube videos and being consistent. But the thing that they always fall into the trap of is that they're doing it in the way that like an influencer or creator does it, where they don't really stand for anything. They don't really represent anyone. Instead, everything is, how do I get engagement? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the minute you're in that mode is the minute that you're, it's the reason why you've seen a million, you know, influencers try to do music and it never really works. I can, right. I can name a handful where it connects. And the reason why is because those people are not artists by trade or or I'm sorry, artists in like their pure heart of hearts, music is a content play for them, just yes. like everything else. Yes. And like the fan will always be able to decipher the two. That's great. And uh, that's, that's so well put. Um, it's art. I mean, artists are leaders and that's why fans 
follow artists. That's why fans fall in love with artists. It's not because of one song that they dig. It's because artists are le- leading a movement and and establishing community and are leaders of that community. You said it really well. Um, now, I'm curious though in this in this age that we're in though, uh, where you know it almost requires you to be always on, as as you kind of say it. Um, what do you say to these artists, maybe like Sleepy and, and others, uh, who are resistant to? being always on, who don't feel comfortable shining that portal into their entire existence at all times, whether it be on TikTok or any other platform, uh, when there's resistance there, how do you approach a release or uh, a rollout with an artist uh, that doesn't have that much interest in uh, those those platforms that, that we have right now? You do things around them. You don't do it with them, right? Like you, and I, I'm I'm literally like just kind of like going on the top of my head. But like sure. you find where those you find the fan pages and you develop a relationship with the artist fan pages and you give them exclusive content first, right? You, mm. um, excuse me. You um, if you wanted to put out. I don't know, like a, a like a music video. You figure out how to uh, create a bunch of like little pieces and Easter eggs that you can give to these different blog accounts to hype things up. You give them reason. You give fan to put it in in because these specifics is what throwing me off. But basically, what I would say is the overarching objective is you just want to create demand. The easiest way to create demand is through the artist speaking to the people themselves. Sure. But the reality is, is that nine times out of 10 artists aren't going to be the ones that can do that um, because they, they can't be the only voice in the room. And so mm-hmm. you have to identify the other people that can be loud for you, the platforms that can be loud for you and work with them to create that sort of amplification for you. So if an artist doesn't want to do all the talking, cool. Let's figure out what the artist wants to do. Let's get those pieces together that help tell the story in an interesting way. And then mm-hmm. let's put that out there into the world using partners, using, you know, if I'm an indie manager right now, which I think most of them are at this point, mm-hmm. the name of my game is I'm just going on TikTok and I'm hitting every single influencer, every single like music aggregate page on TikTok, and I'm trying to find ways or doing deals or whatever it takes to just get awareness on my artists, whether they're going to be loud or not, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the MO of it. I think you just have to work around them to help build that. A good example of it, by the way, is not a music thing, Mm -hmm. like, if, you, are, if you're paying attention to TikTok right now, you're very aware of what's happening with this Minions movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the Minions movie has commercials and all this stuff, don't get me wrong. But, like, nowhere has the Minions movie told you to dress up in a suit to go to the movies or get right. your friends. Yeah, That's influencer marketing and being really savvy about seeing what the trends are and not necessarily trying to force a conversation because i guarantee if like 
the people behind the Minions movie, whatever film company that is, they they decided, hey, we're going to make this trend where everybody's going to wear suits. Nobody would give a shit, but they right. saw it probably uh-huh. and they went for it. And I think that's the name of the game. And you can do that at the smallest levels, yeah. right? You don't have to be a huge artist with huge demand. A lot of it, like a lot, most great leaders in this world, they come from a place where they have no following, all of them really. Right. And what they do is they find the communities where they think they'd matter and then they voice their opinion in those communities. Mm. And like, that's really just the name of the game. It's you have to find where you would actually make a difference mm. and then be there. Yes. That's you great. Uh, you'd mentioned earlier um, advertising, PR, some of these more traditional methods that can work with, you know, as you put it, working around the artist. I'm curious uh, when discussing advertising a little bit more specifically these days, um, huh? where are you spending your ad dollars? Is it Instagram stories? Is it TikTok? Is it YouTube? What, what is like, if we were to look at it, is it influencer marketing? If we were to look at a pie chart uh, and you had a kind of a marketing budget, where what's that percentage breakdown specifically i mean it's all again it's all going to be different for okay. every artist because every artist has a, has different places that they work well i think to to give actual like specifics to it i think the the key is to find out where the artist already works well and spend there right okay. so like example i have artists that aren't necessarily the biggest in terms of streaming, but can go put thousands of people in a venue, um, in uh, any venue across the globe, right? What I do is instead of spending my marketing dollars on let's go get something big on TikTok, mm-hmm. like you said, everybody likes to say, right? What I do is let's go make moments of them performing right Mm. like let's get them let's spend money to get them there three days early let's make sure they're touching all the right people in the marketplace Mm. let's make sure they're doing interviews let's make sure we utilize influencer marketing to do collaborative content so that way they're together with these people and they get some reach there let's use influencer marketing to get those folks plus other partners to the show so they can see you know, I, I had a really great moment that really broke things open for an artist. And this wasn't like a paid thing, but artist by the name of Skilly Bang that I'm working with, dance hall artist. Um, he has a record called Wap Wap. And the moment that really broke it open was he was in London for the first time and he performed to a sold out crowd of 4,500 people. And they went crazy. The, the mm-hmm. clip went was nuts it was it, mm. it was like goosebumps to see i have like i'm getting it right now talking about it and like all we did was share that around to blog account like that's where we spent our money we advertised mm. that clip that organic moment that you can't buy you can't put 4500 people in a, in a room and tell right. them to go crazy um and get that effect and we took that and we went with it and mm. it went nuts and it became this sort of tentpole moment of what then became a series of those moments for him where he had that same moment in Miami, same moment in New York, same moment in Connecticut, same moment. He just did wireless five different times um, this past weekend, different two artists bringing him out. He has a song with Nicki Minaj. Nicki performs it. It goes so crazy. Like 
Yeah. I mean, that that's great. And, and I love that. Now, that doesn't seem like the typical major label marketing move in that, like, how... I guess where do, where are the lines drawn in terms of who's responsible for what? That that almost sounds like a move that the manager would be making, uh, or someone else on you know the digital person, the someone on the social team of that artist. Like I'm, I'm surprised to hear that you know was that like something that happened it's a with group an artist. Effort. Okay, so talk to me it's about like effort. the relationship between the label and the manager and the artist and all of that because I haven't. Yeah, that's that's an interesting. I, so this take. is what I'd say, right? I think, I think every relationship is different, and I've been on the independent side um, mm -hmm. of a lot of like good and bad. I've been on this side of a lot of good and bad relationships, right? I've seen kind of the full spectrum of things. The best relationships between like an artist team and a label are really founded in the idea that you're in it together mm. right and yeah. so honestly that can be a difficult thing for a lot of people to to come to grips with because i think and i try and and sometimes i do well with this and sometimes to be honest i don't do well with it but i try to like lift the veil for anybody I'm working with. Like I, I, I really like my goal is to make sure that the artist and the manager have direct relationships across the company that if they have a question, they don't have to call me as a middle person. Cause sometimes the way it works is that when you're the uh, marketing person, you're what's called the product manager and you're essentially the ancillary point person to the A&R, right? Mm. So like the A&R is focused on music, you're focused on making sure the marketing is bad. And sure. so if the artist can't get the A&R on the phone, they call the marketing person, they say, well, what's going on with this, 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 right? And so what I found and the way I like to work is I want the artist and the manager to get the ins and outs from everybody. And I want everybody on the team to just be open and honest, right? Like mm -hmm. if things are going well, let's, let's own that together if things are not going well and you know mistakes are made or 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 mistakes aren't made and it just didn't work right like we're going to own that relationship together that's the way i try to work things sure i can't speak on other people and and how they manage their artists and, and the flow of that but sure. to me that's the core of it i think what you see a lot in terms of how people perceive the major label like artist relationship, mm -hmm. you don't really ever see a the man the label ever say anything, right? So you don't like you always see you you'll always see the artist go to social media because they feel like that's a place where they can vent their frustration in the moment, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the label can't do that. Right. So you don't, so no, so I think what, what tends to happen in the way people view the major label conversation, like what you just said, the comment you just said is like, you wouldn't see this a lot. I'll tell you right now, when I worked in digital marketing, every product manager I worked for worked the exact same way I did. I mm -hmm. learned like half the game I learned was from a woman by the name of Marsha St. Hubert, who's the head of marketing now at Atlantic. And I would literally sit with her for two and a half years on just the projects that we worked on and I'd see how she kind of operated 
Um, and she's Cardi B's product manager. She's Kodak Black's product manager. She's um, obviously, as I just said, she runs the entire marketing thing. And yeah. basically, like, that's how she moved. Like, so, she was very much, you know, it was very much in the mix of artist friendly, wanting to do what's best for the project. And yeah. honestly, I can name 10 others that I worked with. And I can name every, I'll say right now, everybody that I work with here at RCA, every other product manager is the same book. That's, I mean, that's great to hear. Now, give some advice to managers who are listening to this right now who are struggling with their labels or their product manager and don't feel like their label uh, is maybe giving their artist the attention that they're hoping for, the marketing attention. Uh, maybe the product manager isn't really um, giving them uh, the just this attention or this thought behind like that you say that everyone you know does devote because on the flip side i mean you're working day in and down on a label you're biased i'm talking to artist managers every day who are like i can't you know they're not talking to me i can't get them on the phone they're like i don't think they're really caring about this record anymore man like i'm stuck here i'm not sure what to do i don't know who to call my i feel i'm blocked out from the product you know so talk to those yeah. managers. What? How do you work that? I just think it's communication. Okay. Right. Like, I look again. I can't speak to every product manager in or, or marketing person or A and R person in the world and how they handle things. I can only really speak to myself and what I've seen. But it's communication, right? Mm -hmm. It's not being afraid to have the hard conversation. It's not being afraid to sit there and say, um, you know, I fucked up, right? Because there is a world where, um, honestly, there is a world where, like, labels can be spotty with communication from time to time, right? Like, I've been in that spot where, you know, just this week, I have seven releases, right? So Whoa. there's a world where an artist couldn't get me until like six o'clock instead of the time when they called me at 11 a.m. I mean, yep. the one thing I'd say is I always, and this is just how I operate, I always make sure I have a weekly call standing with every single artist. I think if you don't have that and you're an artist manager, you should demand that, right? Mm. Like no matter what, there should be a physical touch point that at once a week, every single time, and you should be doing that, if you're an artist, you should be doing that with, as, as if you can, with your publisher, if you have a publisher, you should be doing that with your manager for sure. Even mm -hmm. if you talk to your manager every day, right? There right. should just be a guaranteed on the schedule, day and time when, for an hour, where you're going to sit there and you're going to go through all of the issues, good and bad. You're just going to talk about what's coming up. A lot of the times, those calls become mundane and become like they're drawn out because it's basically like, here's the update that we already know. What are we doing? We already know this. But like, it's better to have that than not. Um, the other thing, but, but again, like beyond just that, um, you also want to make sure that there's some sort of reporting mechanism like our team, and this happened just in, in by means of us being a joint venture, but our team, one of the first people that we hired, his name's uh, Gerard, goes by G. He, um, 
he's our data analysis guy, right? So just for our roster, which is now the roster that we oversee at RCA, which is just a part of the overall RCA roster, he sends weekly reporting on everything. So, mm. you know, top line stats, nothing crazy, but every week, you know how socials are going. You know how our priorities are are developing in terms of stream volume. You know how videos perform. When content comes out, like major pieces, we we always generally do um, a, a recap of either like the first 24 hours or first 36, depending on, you know, I mean, sorry, first 72, depending on if it's like a Friday. Like, like we're always feeding information. And then if you mm. want more information, like I said, I shouldn't be the bottleneck of information. You have access to everybody. So mm. you should be able to call anybody on the team at any point in time and be like, hey, you know, so-and-so in digital marketing, why didn't these influencers hit? Or why didn't yeah. these ads go up? Why didn't my video get approved for, you know, true view advertising on YouTube? Like, yeah, it, it's just about you got to open the lines of communication and then you got to take those lines of communication seriously because, you know, if it's if it's at a, the other thing I say is if it's at a point where you feel like you can't get anybody at the label on the phone and you've tried and you, you know, like you've gone through it and you've had these conversations at that point, then it's just a relationship that's not working. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want that if I'm if I'm an artist manager, I wouldn't want to be like blowing everybody like artist teams are gen at this point, you know, artist teams are 10 people deep mm -hmm. at, at a label alone. Right. And that's just mm -hmm. the core group, not mm -hmm. to mention like all the other people involved. So if you can't get one of 10 people on the phone to figure out what's happening, then there's a larger problem here sure. and i think at that point you gotta like raise the red flag like okay this isn't yeah. for me no it's great it's great advice um i think that you know the weekly call uh is a great idea and, and hopefully you know everyone hearing that is it's giving them the confidence to request that if they don't already have one on the books that's great well i don't want to take any more of your time you got all these releases coming out this week i appreciate you carving no, out uh, Thank you. <laughs> this time i do have one final question that i ask everyone who comes on the show and that is uh what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business to make it in the new music business um yeah. i mean you know I would have said a lot of different things over the past, like my whole career. Sure. Um, I feel like right now to make it in the new music business is essentially, can you live the life that you want to live doing music by itself? Like I just plainly put, I, I think if you can do that, However that looks, right? If you mm -hmm. want to like fly private jets and do all the crazy shit that you see in music video and music videos, and whatever you want to, then yeah, like that's a lot of work that you got to put in to get there. But again, like Bun B said, if you want to, if you, if you just, it doesn't take a million fans to make a million dollars. And so I think for me personally, I'm, I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a really great position in my career now where you know i'm working i have the honor of working with people that i look up to 
um, that have done tremendous things in the business. I have the, the ability where I'm making enough money. I have two kids and a wife. Like I'm, I'm able to contribute to the household in a meaningful way. Um, and I'm able to like be happy. Like my, my mm. complaints are always that I'm trying to do something and it's not happening the way I want, or I'm trying to like execute on something and I'm not seeing eye to eye with someone. Like those are my complaints. My com- like my wife used to instill is she's actually in her master's program, but my wife is in social work mm. and she worked with the homeless population. And I always tell this like story to friends of mine that I would come home and complain like, man, this, this artist thing isn't working. And like, Oh, like they, they won't just approve my, my plan. They won't approve my budget, whatever. Da, da, da. She's like, yeah, I just had the Narcan, a homeless guy. Cause he was OD on the street today. And that's legit a true story Put shit in perspective. Yeah. And so that's my point. If your complaints in, in this are like, like, about this about just doing this at a higher level then you've made it mm. alex thank you so much this is great really thank awesome. you Thanks, appreciate it Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com